Sonic States. Here we are. Uh, this is Sonic Talk number 20. We finally made it in uh, into our 20th episode. Um, this is going to be going out on the 2nd November 2006, and we've got uh, four people with us today, including myself. We've got Dave Robinson, who is editor of ProSound News Europe. Hello, Dave. Hello there. Uh, we've got Mark Tinley, uh, a regular producer, engineer, sound artist. How are you doing, Mark? Hi. And we've also got Dave Spears, uh, another regular. I'm glad to have you aboard once again, Dave. Thank you. Okay, well, um, we're going to d- jump right in, unless anybody has anything to say on uh, trick-or-treaters or anything, because Halloween was last night, wasn't it? I actually spent uh, last night going around early in the evening with my three-year-old daughter. I went to see Imogen Heap Did you? at uh, the Roundhouse. And she sort of started her set by sort of rising out of the stage on a broomstick and sort of sailing backwards and forwards across the stage. Um, then sat down in front of her computer and uh, everything went down. And uh, we had to wait 15 minutes for her to reboot. So um, a bit of a disaster for the technology, actually. It was kind of strange because I was stood in front of a load of guys who were obviously readers of Sound on Sound or Future Music or even Sonic Status, I would say, because they were going, oh, should I use an Ovation keyboard? And oh, that's what happens when you use Logic. And I was kind of, I was thinking, can you shut up so I can listen to the gig, please? <laughs> it's the first time I've actually walked. I ended up walking out of the gig because no. after, after an hour, she played five songs. Yeah, the albums are great, but live it was uh, it was useless. But I saw her in San Diego uh, after NAMM, and she was really good. Yeah, it worked well. Yeah, that it's will be the way the that one. she came on and said, uh, "Oh dear, if this doesn't work, I haven't got a plan B." So you will be personally refunding my ticket then? <laughs> exactly. Better oh, well. think about changing your key tech as well. Yes, well, you'd think so if that didn't work. Well, I don't know what it was. It was she just said, "Oh, my MIDI's not working," and then uh, she said, oh, "I'm going to have to turn it off and turn it on again." And somebody behind her went, "Oh, you work in IT." <laughs> <laughs> but when she finally got it working, it was you know starting to lose interest and was more oh, interested in lager. Uh, or bobbing apples in cider, perhaps. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've done lots of world tours with Duran Duran on. on designed all of their rigs and stuff and you always have a b rig if the first yeah. one goes wrong you just flick a switch and go on the other one well i can't believe someone of that sort of status or caliber wouldn't would be unplugging their own midi it's bizarre. well i think she was she was trying to sort of uh, live that myspace um all out of a laptop technology dream and uh, just failing miserably did anyone see that video of the Jeff Hand demonstrating his um, uh, touchscreen interface at the TED uh, com- uh, conference recently? I did. I did. I did. Yeah, I'm very, very excited by that. I, I am. I, I, for those of you who haven't seen it, it was on YouTube a while back. He had a kind of brilliant demo where he was just playing to some sort of ambient um, kind of breakbeat stuff, and it looked absolutely brilliant. For me, the idea that you could grab several things all at once and just... On a, on a normal control surface is exciting enough. I mean, but having watched him playing with all of that wax and lava and stuff like that, I mean, the, 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 the scope for creating new musical instruments is probably uh, pretty... Massive. I mean, I, I suppose the one thing that I would I would like to see is what was running sort of what was what it was running on because I was just thinking what that must have been what a kind of forty inch LCD screen and real time manipulation of um, you know full resolution photographs resizing it super quick. Can you imagine the graphics card and just the the, the 
the power of the computer that must need you must need to actually run that demo. Yeah, but in three years' time, you'll be able to buy that in Dixon's. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe five years. I was viewing it exactly the same time as our programmer in the, in the States was viewing it, and we were um, literally... I think by the end of the presentation, we'd come up with about 100 ideas as to how we could use it within a kind of musical concept. And in the end, we just kind of went, oh, Christ, you know, uh, let's come back to that later. But it was amazing. In five, in five years, right? But I, I think that his the, the, the whole thing is based essentially on most of the really impressive stuff was two points of reference, wasn't it? So, and, and that's not good. That, that could be much closer to uh, to us than you know than this than the whole kit and caboodle with the giant screen or whatever. I mean, just the fact that you could input things with two hands hmm. might make an awful lot of applications much much easier and more intuitive to use. Uh, definitely, without a doubt. What you said about two mice is is another thing. Why can't we just have two mice then? Plug in a mice, a mouse, and a trackpad into the computer. Mice. Even. <laughs> but, um, you know, working on the desktop, you, you tend to um, use uh, hotkeys and shortcuts, which, you know, if you're a power user, you'll be doing that with your left hand and you'll be working with your mouse with your right hand. So I can see, oh, I can yeah. see the pros and cons of that. I mean, you're not going to need it for word processing, are you? But, I mean, you, you would certainly need it. I mean, you could see uses for kind of creative stuff which has a visceral quality, you know, like for musical and audio and sculptural sort of applications, 3D yeah, modelling, what have you. I mean, you could hear the people in the audience sort of gasping and wowing with, with you know, with amazement at how obvious, you know, you could see the light bulbs kind of going off above their own heads about everything. Mm. Wow, I could use this, I could use... So it'd be great if we can, we can see something like that coming along soon, please. It's a very minority report, wasn't it? The way he was scaling things and move again. It reminded me of that somewhat. Well, let's hope it's not a minority for long, eh? Hey. I'm sorry, guys. I, c- I couldn't help myself. <laughs> the next thing that came up was um, this open source DAW, open source door. I mean, Dave Robinson, you, you um, brought this to my attention. How did it come to your... Yeah. Well, it was, it was strange. That, uh, I was at the AES show in San Francisco um, a couple of weeks ago, and Solid State Logic, SSL, um, announced that they were supporting Ardor, or Ardor, however you pronounce it. And um, it's, it was one of those things everybody's going, right, okay, that's great. Uh, and only when I got back and checked out what it was, it's this, you know, open source DAW um, that's on sort of version 2 point something something. And um, it seems to be, it runs on, on Linux and uh, on the Mac OS X. And I guess it's one of those. It's one of these things where people see the the gaps. They see what uh, the, the standard packages don't do, and they want to do something about it. But you know, it's all very worthy if you want to get involved. But I can't quite see why we'd want another DAW when there's enough out there. But it, it's curious that the Harrison, who are a big console manufacturer in the states, they support it as well. So kind of it's it's sort of a little bit unusual for for. Um, uh, big names like that to, to, to support. They're using it in education or... Um... I don't know. I mean, perhaps now that Peter Gabriel, of course, has taken over is one of the joint owners of SSL and he's into sort of funky projects and uh, interesting technology. It's curious, if you, if you go to the website it's very geeky and the fact that you have to dig around to find out actually what it is. But apparently, Mark, you've actually installed it. Is that right? Well, it took me a while to get it installed. I mean, that it took me all day to get it installed. Oh, wow. Worse, but mainly because I couldn't find the disk that came with the Apple computer with X11 on it. So I, after finding that and getting it all up and running, um, it reminds me of BIOS Deck, 
which was originally Macromedia Deck, which I think was the basis of the multi-track Pro Tools back when everyone was using Sound Designer 2. It doesn't actually have any MIDI on it, so I couldn't see really where I would use this application in, in my sort of day-to-day -day doing of stuff. And um, I, mean, I can see its use on Linux because I don't think there's very much else on Linux like this. They do say that the MIDI sequencer part is going to be... Um coming up it, it says what it isn't is a sound file editor and it seems to me if it doesn't do midi and anything else then it what well does it do? it do it works like pro tools in that you can have regions of sound and move them around and and sort of overlap them and crossfade them and do quite quick editing of things i mean the thing i found really frustrating was because i use pro tools already and i use logic already that everything was in a different place so after installing the plugins about three times and still not being able to work out how to get them to work, I went onto all of the user forums and sort of read through, because there's no user manual for it. You know, no. search through the forums for instructions. Yeah, well, I eventually figured out how to get the plugins to work, but this is where I, come, I came really unstuck. So I grabbed one of their plugins and I put it across the track that I'd recorded into the program to sort of see what would happen. And it came up with a, a box which said to me, you attempted to add a plug-in, CAPS JVREV Stanford-style reverb from SDK. The plug-in has one input, but at the insertion point, there are two active signal streams. This makes no sense. You are throwing away part of the signal. And then you get to click OK, and then it refuses to add the plug-in. And, and I'm not having anybody <laughs> telling me that something I'm doing doesn't make sense. I throw away half the audio quite often, especially if you're using something that you happen to record in stereo, which is not really a stereo signal at all, like a Roland keyboard with chorus on it, maybe. Why is it telling me how I should or shouldn't work? I took issue, issue with it. Well, and quite rightly so. I mean, it sounds like they haven't... Uh, they've got a little way to go. But, I mean, it's interesting, mm. that, Dave, you say that they that you're hearing big big manufacturers supporting it. I mean, do you think it's just a sort of nod to open source to make them feel good about themselves? Possibly. Um, SSL are in a big expansion phase at the moment and having, as I say, having been bought out last year by a guy called Dave Engelkey, who's very much an American broadcast technology guy, and Peter Gabriel. But what's, what's curious from, from my standpoint is, of course, that they bought Sidec recently, which is the company that uh, was behind Soundscape. So they have a load of technology for a DAW uh, already sat there and has been around for, what, 14 years or so then they're getting on board with an open source DAW. It strikes but me that uh, perhaps what's happening is it's much cheaper to say, here, why don't you integrate our system into your free written by people we don't have to pay software um, door rather than us have to certificate it and, you know, comply and all of that sort of thing. That'd be a very cynical attitude to take. Yeah. I mean, a more cynical attitude to take might be that they're just waiting for that shining light in the digital audio world, the person that writes the most brilliant plugin in the world, to write something within this environment, which they, they sort of got their finger in that pie already. Mm. And they, they employ that person and get them to come and work for them. And It's probably worth a try if you don't want to spend any money, but then, you know, isn't Mackie Traction kind of more mm. maybe more something that you should look at which has a little bit more um development time in it and a manual and uh, distribution and um stuff if you want a really good digital audio workstation on osx i'll point you in the direction of garage band three it's 
utterly brilliant because it's a cut down version of logic and it does pretty much anything that you could want to do and and definitely as much as you can do in Arda and you don't have to go through the installation nightmare it's sitting there already if you've got iLife 06 or whatever which comes with all the new Macs anyway GarageBand 3 is already set up for for creating like radio shows or podcasts or for writing music and yep. and and if you want to take anything that you've recorded in GarageBand into a studio and they've got logic it will load straight into logic and you can you know your sound engineer there can help you tweak it and make it a bit more professional so well, no, that's that's a fair point, I think. And, so, I'd start in GarageBand. I can't understand why, you know, unless this thing suddenly does something more in the future, I can't understand why anyone would hmm. use it. I downloaded it and got as far as the, uh, this requires X11 or whatever it is. Please find your disc and thought, nah, sorry, my is too short. Did anyone see the Nutty Modular Synth app? Uh, it reminded me of the MIDI hamsters thing. I don't. I haven't seen the mini hamster thing. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 this is meant to be music making, right? And it's all people moving little blocks around on a screen. This is what we're talking about. Yes, that's it? right. No, it looked fantastic. Uh, I mean, it seemed. Well, it didn't. It just seemed a bit sort of random to me. And although I like random musical sort of madness, I think there's probably better ways of doing it. And I, I couldn't see it being next. But it, I mean, I suppose the, the interesting thing is, is you know, obviously there's funding out there for people to develop interesting new interfaces, and we should be benefiting from this sooner rather than later. It, it probably, it's probably up there with the laser harp, isn't it, for um, useless instruments? Yeah, maybe you're right. I didn't quite understand why those little things had loads of little holes in them. I, that was what I, where I, it lost me because they, they're specific and special little shapes, aren't they? Mm. They've, got a, they've got a name which escapes me at the moment. So somebody would come along and move one of these shapes across the table, and then what? I want to, I wanna, you know, yeah, show me what it does. I didn't get a clear enough idea of what it was supposed to be doing. I do understand what the MIDI hamster. It's the sort of thing that will appear in science museums in the future. Yeah, maybe and an educational tool. And if you look on the website, they have got a, a baby crawling over it, which is really strange. That was so my that, favourite one. I think that's the one I'm putting in Pro Sound News this month, actually. But, but I also got the impression there was maybe a bloke standing um, by the side in the dark with, uh, with a kind of a, a synthesizer sort of playing notes as they moved the, the blocks around the table. <laughs> you might be right. <laughs> you know, so he didn't actually do anything. He said, all right, I'll do the blippy sound now. And I'll, yeah. I'll, turn, up the, I'll turn up the filter. <laughs> if they install it anywhere British, then uh, the British people are renowned the world over for breaking any installations. Apparently, they put things with speakers up in um, America, and people walk through these installations, and whenever they do that in Britain, pull the cones out, the speakers, the whole fingers through things and stuff. And apparently, this only happens in Britain. We, we're sort of vandals, you know, like, you go in the science museum, everything's broken. Everything's been in there, nothing works. So like, don't put their finger in and broken it, pull something off they're not meant to. So Thank you very proud. Basically, the story is is there's uh, there's an organisation in it's happening in London. Um, they're trying to st- start a campaign that's basically saying, um, please. It says after one too many times being forced to listen to someone else's music while travelling to work, we decided to contact London Buster to see if anything could be done about it. And um, they're contacting you know 
all the various bodies and um, there are people coming out of the woodwork probably most of them frankly don't use public transport anyway but they just want to sound like they're doing something for the people it's interesting because it's uh, i read this and i thought hold on a minute this is actually a ban on teenagers yeah. and this is a ban on sort of uh, it's a ban on chavs actually is that's what it is it reminds me of, sort of pipe down which is the organization that uh, guys who used to turn up at uh, restaurants and, and uh, elevators and, and uh, snip the wires for the muzak i've been asked to turn down my uh, my ipod um on a on a train and i think well, there's enough ambient noise with uh, with the actual noise of the of the train itself that get lost, get lost, or get, or get no, i don't mind teenagers at all they can wear what they want do what they want chavs can exist i don't care but when they start infringing on my personal space then i've got something to say about it and what these kids do is they've got this new generation of mobile phones with really loud really tinny really horrible speakers in mm. don't listen to their music on headphones they play the music on the speakers on the phone. Well, I can't antisocial. Yeah, totally. Why can't they put headphones on? That's. I mean, and I work in music, and I don't want to hear music when I'm not working because it's almost like, you know, it's been thrown in your face. When, yeah, I know what uh, you're saying, but blah, 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 I actually, blah. I actually come at it. I don't want to hear music coming out of mobile phones because I do work in music, and it makes me think, God, I'm working all this time on making music, and this is where it ends up. I, I had my first experience of this the other day. I walked past a bus stop. And on a little bench, this guy had his phone, and he was standing about five feet away. And I just had to stop and laugh because it was like you're not—you really seriously listening to this? I mean, it's like the equivalent of I don't know our generation going out with a little tinny transistor radio and trying to have a party. It's, the thing is, they want you to know what they're listening yeah, to as well. Yeah, it's branding, and isn't I'm, it? And and I don't think what they're listening to is cool because I don't really like Eminem or J Lo or any of the other stuff, you know. I did. So what they should be doing as people get on buses, they should be playing um, the Brandenburg Concertos or uh, you know Jesus Joy of Man's Desiring. Because <laughs> no, seriously, they've shown that if you play uh, classical music in certain environments, the the youth elements. Um, are, are intimidated by it and, uh, and, and won't bother coming in. Whereas if you play loud hip hop or uh, you know thrash metal or whatever, um, the kids feel safer in that environment and going to come in. So you know if you want a bus full of uh, little old ladies and um, uh, moaning old men, uh, then uh, you want to fire um, Brandenburg number two. The problem yes. with that music is that oh, anyone that listens to that kind of music probably drives the Jag anyway. So if if they play. <laughs> If they play that kind of music on a bus, they'll end up with no customers. I think that's a fair point, though. I mean, for the, I, 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 go, I regularly take my daughter now to the uh, playground up the road, and it's it's full of, because um, it was half term this week, it's full of kids listening to music on mobile phones, like, loudly. And it, they're just kind of, it's. I just don't understand it as a concept. It's really bizarre, because, like you say, it is, it's like turning up your headphones really loud and then leaving them on a chair. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it is very much about branding. I mean, the one thing that I did say, there was a kid, he was about 13, and he was listening to Stevie Wonder's Superstition, which oh, is right. remarkable. Uh, it's got some taste. Yeah. yeah but there was no bass, though. Yeah, all you could hear was the clavy. Yeah, exactly. So, so that dum 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 that was all lost. Yeah, lost. It's a very, oh. very cool part of the record. Though. Sexy robot. Uh, 
Well, I just wanted to make, yeah, I wanted to make a comment about your sexy robot. I couldn't download the video, but what I did notice, I noticed two things. First of all, she's wearing a crop top, and it's got a, it's got a Union Jack on it, which suggests that, uh, you know, we're all a bit slutty over here. It's a new robot. There's been recently a Chinese robot fest somewhere in, um, in, in that great continent where uh, they've been showing the latest robot technology, and they've got these kind of hot babe-type uh, mannequins, with, which are dressed with uh, very kind of uh, suggestively i'd say slutty smutty slutty <laughs> they don't look very chinese put it that way they look more like kind of westerners and they're holding microphones and singing chinese karaoke songs by the looks of it and um this latest technology i mean th- i think they're very rubbery um and i could see her lips moving ever so slightly and all these sort of chinese boffins going up and sort of touching her fingertips and pinching their uh, their elbows and you know just seeing what the skin's like but all of them are basically looking at these rather sort of pert bosoms which uh, the headlights are on shall we say <laughs> <laughs> And, that just, and I don't know why you'd want one. I mean, what would you, you... It doesn't walk, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't do anything apart from sing it with a really horrible, whiny voice and look kind of slutty in the corner of the room. <laughs> My problem was it. She was called Dion. And anything that reminds me of Celine Dion is not sexy. Baby, baby think twice. Well, I've, I thought about it once and I thought, no thanks. Well, some of my daughter's toys are more, you know, have, have sort of more human qualities than that, you know, and they, got, they just run off AA batteries and come from, come from Toys R Us, you know. Anyway. I quite like to see a hybrid of this and, and the real doll. Anyone seen those? The real dolls? No. They're basically like dolls. Well, you know, full size. But they're real. <laughs> well, yeah, but they have parts and everything. <laughs> very, very sad blokes by them. Oh, I've heard about that. They're made custom yeah. order. Are they latex? Is there latex yes. involved? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, a friend of mine told me about that. They're I haven't bad. looked at that website at all. I mean, if you could, if you could come up with a sort of hybrid, one of those real dolls that sings to you while you... And it would be perfect, really. Excellent. That's just guaranteed that whole section's going straight on the cutting room floor. So, as we're 20, um, 20 episodes, we thought we'd run through a few other things that were 20 also. i got a few synths here. I can't believe the S900 is 20 years old. No, it certainly made a difference to my music making. I mean, you know, that I, I remember the first, uh, first remix I did, I had to put the vocals into the S900, reorder them, save them onto loads of different floppies and put them out onto a four track so how I could uh, <laughs> so I could get it to work I mean awesome awesome piece of kit in fact I think I think we waited for the 950 because it had just a little bit more memory what was that something like one and a half megs or something yeah and uh, what was the 900s 12 bit just like to say what we had on the list like the Korg DSS1 which was a sampler I believe Akai S900 Roland JX10 Ensonic ESQ1 and Yamaha TX81Z I'm sure there are others any Dave did you Dave Robinson did you have any of those any fond memories no I mean the closest I got to that was uh, I had a JX3P I, I loved greatly. I've still got my Rowan D50, but I was looking at... Um, I really always wanted a JX8P, actually, because it was sort of sexy and, you know, those coloured buttons on it, touch bu- touch key buttons, and it was that kind of silvery colour. But I thought the JX10 was um, was not, not quite as sexy as the 3P or the... Or the 8P. They, they were very expensive. They had very nice keyboards, I seem to remember. The only time I ever saw one, I think, when I saw World Party playing at Moles, and Carl Wallinger was playing one. But people used to use them as master keyboards as well, because uh, they obviously had MIDI out, and they had a, it was like a semi-weighted synth action, I think, didn't it? Mm. It was, wasn't it? It was a kind of Super JX, in a way. Yeah. Well, at $2,700, it should have been pretty super. The so, tx one I think that was just uh, a lot of the presets from the DX, a lot of FM presets in a box, so you didn't have to muck about with trying to program it. 
because obviously there are only two people in the world who could do that. The bloke from the Yamaha and Brian Eno. <laughs> uh, a TX7 was a DX7 in a box. A TX81Z was a DX100 in a box. It was a four-operator scent. Okay. What was the DX7? The TX816? Is that yes. the big mega one? Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah, had to tool one of those. That was... Oh, and no LCD. Uh, no, a two-digit a two LED, I think. Uh, I had the job I had the job of trying to program that to make it sound like a mini-moog for some uh, star turn at one point. Really? How'd you get on? Yeah. Uh, really badly. Bought an SE uh, <laughs> Studio Electronics thing, hid it in the rack, and pretended that I'd uh, programmed it. Okay, well, um, other stuff that was 20. The Erbium Doped Fibre Amplifier. I mean, I know it sounds very dull, but that's probably one of the reasons that we're, st- we're actually talking to each other now, because it, was, it enabled uh, the transmission of long digital signals over fibre optics. It was invented by David Payne of the University of Southampton. There you are. I think what was, what was more interesting, actually, Nick, was your uh, 20th anniversary of the PC virus, because if you look on the, on the TechWeb website, um, it gives you a kind of a, a history... And uh, what it doesn't do is, um, I thought it should be one of those like police camera action um, websites where it says, this virus writer spent a long time behind bars. But it, it kind of, it doesn't really give you the full story. But what it does tell you is that the, um, what have we got here, the I love you virus, and I, you know, it was only a few years ago, um, it, it did an estimated between 10 and $15 billion of damage. And the guy was living in the Philippines and they didn't have any um, didn't have any laws against it, so he never got charged. I really so he got I, away with it. I definitely remember him being sort of led off, looking very sorry for himself. With well, he was never actually charged in the Philippines. I think I think he was maybe um, charged outside the country. But, oh, but then yeah. there's this Safa virus in Germany that also caused sort of tens of millions of dollars worth of damage. And because the guy was only seventeen, he got a suspended sentence. Bless. <laughs> Yeah, it's just they weren't really clued up about the fact you've got to punish these people for for destroying everybody's computers all over the world. It's taken a while for them to catch on, hasn't it? No, and and one of the other facts I found was that um, backdoor Trojan and bots are the biggest threat to PC users today. They reckon out of 5.7 million PCs running Microsoft's um, malicious software removal tool, 62% had at least one Trojan. Wow. That's pretty scary, isn't it? I mean, that, well, maybe what they'll end up is you have to have a license for a computer like you did with a, a TV or a radio, you know, what you do with a TV because you have to have some, or a dog license. Cause essentially, or a if fish you've got, license. Well, if you've got a computer that's connected to the internet and it, it, it could potentially do an awful lot of damage if you're not responsible to for keeping it kind of... It's, what, what was also interesting from the TechWeb website is that most of these viruses are sent out in August. You know, surely these people should be getting out in the sunshine a bit more. Well, they're off school, aren't they? They should be in the park with their mobile phones playing MP3 files at each other. Yeah. (laughs) They probably are as well. They probably just stay up all night drinking Jolt Cola. I was very disappointed they didn't have the uh, funniest virus I ever saw, which was the word processing one on the PC that you actually start typing, and when the letters get to the centre of the screen, they just all fall down in a heap. Do you remember that? I've never seen that. Oh, slightly annoying, though, if you've been working hard on an article. Oh, God. <laughs> They've got a gallery of um, of all, you know, of viruses and what they look like, and um, that that was kind of... Well, it, wasn't, it was a bit like watching paint dry, but... But you know, I've never seen most of these things, you know, and I, I thought the kind of I love you virus was something really clever. But I mean, if I'd seen that, 
I obviously wouldn't have clicked on it because it had VBS, which is Visual Basic Script on it. Which, the thing that's frightening is it just shows how gullible and unprepared most of us are who own computers, you know, as a society in whole. It just seems like none of us really kind of think, oh, if I click on someone who sent me a program or I don't know, if I click on it, I wonder if it'll do anything wrong. You know, it just seems kind of, of course it blooming will. I wanted to uh, just talk briefly about uh, this Infinite Monkey project. That did look uh, a fascinating concept. Well, it's presumably, you know, this guy set up this website, from what I can tell, this guy called Sparrow, who works uh, from Devon. You text him a word, and if the the words come in in a certain order, and they create a song lyric, then he's going to create a piece of music out of it, apparently. But surely people will be, will be sending in words like muesli and, and spatula, uh, you know, not actually anything you can create a decent song, song lyric out of. And, you know, there won't be any conjunctives, there won't be any um, conjunctions, as, you know, there won't be any ands or thers or... Well, maybe we should send him some. Well, I think you should send a whole, whole barrel load of it. So if you go to the website, he's got some, uh, the, the latest incoming lyrics, and it says, uh, Splutter in gutter made me mutter suck, plinth immersed in resonance, oh gun caustic. And I thought, well, you know, that sounds like a load of rubbish. But then again, um, Caesar's Palace, Morning Glory, Silly Human Race, you know, from, from Yes, 30 years ago. That's pretty stupid. Yeah, I suppose so. As is most of the stuff that the Cotto Twins ever came out with. I looked at this, and do you know what the first thing I thought was? Underworld. It's a stream of consciousness stuff. So, how, I, what I don't understand is, if he's been running this website for a while and has later... Uh, how come we haven't had anything output from him? Because he must be getting plenty of stuff. Or is he on a, some sort of a, uh, uh, a premium rate um, text line that he's making a few quid, and when he gets to no, a certain... It's just no, a, it's just a normal 07 number. Maybe his battery went on his mobile, and he hasn't been able to pick up as many as he thought he would. Mm. But you'd think, you know, he'd, he'd have done something by now to kind of keep the keep the whole project going, because after a while... Well, he's, he's, he's got himself on here, hasn't he? That's very true. So yeah, I wanna, so, but I want to hear a song. Well, he's got an MPC 2000, apparently, so it's only a matter of time. Sampling time. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we wish him luck, but the one thing he does say is if you, if any of your words or phrases end up in the final lyric, you will get a cut of the royalties. Right. This has amused me because Nick Rhodes uh, is Simon's censor, and Simon writes all sorts of strange lyrics, which Nick absolutely won't let him sing. And uh, one word that we had in particular a few years ago was nostril. So, um, And Nick wouldn't let him sing nostril because he didn't think it fitted in with Duran Duran's kind of ethos or, you know, look or, or any of that. So, so <laughs> nostril's been removed from this song. <laughs> the Simon had rightly pointed out that, that Byron had used the word nostril in a poem and that so it should be all right. And, uh, uh. But I'm going to forward this article to Simon. Was that uh, Ode to My Nostril One, min- one Summer's Morning? He <laughs> <laughs> was wandering over Exmoor and he got some pollen stuck up one of them, I imagine. It was those blooming daffodils, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I think you'll find that was Wordsworth, but yeah, never mind. Know, but it was a poetry gag and we're sort of disintegrating now, so <laughs> thank you very much for participating in podcast number 20. I'm not sure if it'll be a milestone in uh, podcasting broadcasting or not, but uh, we'll... We we do hope so. And um, thank you very much, Dave Robinson. Thank you. And Dave Spears. Thank you. <laughs> and Mark, who's joined us again. Thank you very much, Mark. Oh, yeah, thank you very much. Ace, do you want to say thank you? Say bye. Daddy.
<laughs> Excellent. SonicState.com. Okay, that's a wrap again. Um, it's end of episode 20. Um, just like to say thanks for all of you who called in. Uh, we got a great message from Crazy Joe from Surf Lounge. I'm just going to play that. You can have a listen. Hello, this is Crazy Joe in uh, California from SurfLounge.com. But I just wanted to tell you guys, you're doing such a fine job. I, I constantly check your site and your news. And thank you very, very much for the uh, uh, updates, especially the, your, your deal at the AES show. Uh, it's kind of trippy that I had to get the news from, from England. And here I am. I couldn't make a 100-mile trip to get to the show. So God bless you. Thank you very much. Big shout out to you, Joe. Thanks for calling in. And remember, folks, if you want to contact us about any of the content of the shows, even if it's an old episode, we'll be happy to, to take your call. Contact us using the Skype handle Sonic Talk, or if you want to use the phone, our number in the US is 312-376-8089. That's and outside the US, 001-312-376-8089. Uh, we're working on getting a UK line um, sorted out as well, so people from Europe can call us at a cheaper rate. Um, or alternatively, email us at sonictalk at sonicstate.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Sonic. State. Dot com.